This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to the Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm producer Catherine Hughes. On today's episode, we're going to be exploring the question of whether the International Criminal Court should prosecute Vladimir Putin for war crimes, looking at both the moral and legal reasons in favour of this, whilst considering the practical peace-building effort that an act like this could set back. Our guests are Dan Kirkmarek, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Northwestern University, and lawyer Philippe Zams, who is currently working closely with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's office on related legal issues. Our host for this episode is journalist and academic Philippa Thomas. Here's Philippa with more. Since the start of Russia's war in Ukraine in February 2022, numerous Russian crimes have been reported. These include murder, torture, terrorism, unlawful airstrikes, the rape of Ukrainian women and other attacks on civilians. In March 22, the US Senate passed a resolution unanimously declaring Russia's leader Vladimir Putin to be a war criminal. In January 2023, the European Parliament adopted a resolution recommending the establishment of an international tribunal to prosecute Putin and the leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, for war crimes. Perhaps most significant of all, on the 17th of March 2023, just over a year into Russia's war in Ukraine, the International Criminal Court issued two arrest warrants. One for Vladimir Putin, one for Maria Lvova-Belova, whose title is Commissioner for Children's Rights in the Office of the President of the Russian Federation. The ICC stated that there are reasonable grounds to believe that each suspect bears responsibility for the war crime of unlawful deportation of the population and that of unlawful transfer of the population from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation in prejudice of Ukrainian children. Some viewed these arrest warrants as a fundamental point of progress and justice in the war. Others raised concerns about the feasibility and potential consequences of prosecuting a sitting head of state. Throughout history, leaders accused of war crimes have faced varying degrees of accountability, and Putin's case raises important questions about legal frameworks, 
the role of international institutions like the International Criminal Court, and the challenges involved in holding high-ranking officials responsible for their actions. On this episode of the podcast, we analyse the implications of prosecuting Putin for war crimes with Philippe Sands, international lawyer and author of East West Street on the origins of genocide and crimes against humanity, and Daniel Kirkmerick, academic and author of The Justice Dilemma, Leaders and Exile in an Era of Accountability. Philippe and Daniel, welcome to Intelligence Squared. And my first question to you both. Philippe, first, should the ICC prosecute Vladimir Putin for war crimes? The position that I would take is that in our modern world, we have a commitment to the rule of law and to the application and enforcement of rules. Ukraine is a party in effect to the statute of international criminal court in relation to three crimes, war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. And that means under the law of the ICC, a crime has commit, been committed on the territory of Ukraine and is not investigated or prosecuted by the Ukrainians. The ICC can exercise jurisdiction. Whether they should exercise that jurisdiction in relation to a sitting head of state, of course, is a significant issue. They have now proceeded on the basis that they wish to do so. Prosecutor has initiated an investigation. A pretrial chamber has given the green light for an arrest warrant to be issued. My own reading of what has happened is this has been done in response to an effort to create a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression over which the ICC does not have jurisdiction to signal that the ICC can deal with a head of state. If that is the reason for issuing this indictment against Mr. Putin, that is not a justifiable reason. We will look further at crime of aggression and the different crimes or most feasible crimes under which Putin could be prosecuted. But Daniel, your thoughts first on whether Vladimir Putin should be prosecuted for war crimes. My answer is yes, I do think Putin should be prosecuted at the ICC. But that conclusion, which might seem obvious at first, actually creates some very difficult trade-offs that I'll try to explain. But first, let me offer what I think is, is the case for prosecuting Putin, which ultimately is the stronger one. There's a moral case for it. It's the right thing to do. And it's a good non-military way to support the Ukrainians, the very people who have suffered the most at Putin's hands and who are very much in favor of a prosecution at the ICC. There's also a deterrence rationale preventing future war crimes. Now, the idea here is not that Putin himself will be deterred. He obviously has not been. But the idea is instead that prosecuting Putin would send a powerful signal to other leaders around the world who might think twice before committing their own war crimes. And lastly, prosecuting Putin, if it can be done successfully, would I think strengthen the ICC's legitimacy. The ICC has often been criticized in the past for going after weak leaders, particularly those in Africa, and giving them powerful a pass. But prosecuting Putin, right, the man who Forbes has multiple times listed as the most powerful man in the world, a leader who has a permanent seat on the UN Security Council and an arsenal of nuclear weapons, would change that narrative. So that's the case for prosecuting. But I do want to add two caveats to my support for a prosecution both of which are political issues rather than legal issues. First, we need to manage expectations. Prosecuting Putin, actually getting him to The Hague is incredibly unlikely, at least in the short term. And that's because there's no way for the ICC 
to get its hands on Putin. Right? The ICC does not have some sort of police force that travels the world and arrests the bad guys. It has to rely on state cooperation for enforcement. Russia refuses to recognize the ICC, and Putin obviously is not going to turn himself into the court voluntarily. It is conceivable that he might be arrested while traveling abroad, but I think Putin can minimize that risk by avoiding travel to ICC member states and only visiting friendly countries. So put simply, Putin is probably safe as long as he holds on to power. My second caveat that I would add here is that there is some downside risk to a prosecution. The idea here is threatening to prosecute oppressive rulers can make it harder to get rid of them. And the logic here is simple. Why give up power if you think that doing so will ultimately land you in a jail cell? So this means that if Putin is cornered by a popular revolution or some sort of elite coup, perhaps because his war in Ukraine goes from very bad to even worse, he would have no way out. And instead, he would probably be likely to double down, perhaps gambling that he can win the war in Ukraine or brutally repress the uprising. So the concern here is that a cornered Putin would be very dangerous because unlike previous leaders targeted with international prosecutions, he has nuclear weapons. Now, to be clear, I think the likelihood of him using nuclear weapons in Ukraine is very, very low, but it's also not zero. And as a political scientist, I tend to think in terms of worst case scenarios. So my bottom line is yes, Putin ought to be prosecuted. The likely benefits I think outweigh the likely costs, but as appealing as it is to imagine Putin behind bars, prosecution will be very difficult and it does carry some risk. And I hope policymakers are prepared to address those challenges. I think the politics and the practicalities we want to come back to, we want to tease those threads out. I want to pick up first something you said and put it to Philippe, which is about the legitimacy of the International Criminal Court. Philippe, how much do you think these two arrest warrants having been issued, that the ICC's legitimacy is now bound up with its pursuit of Putin? No one is above the law is the simple point. And even if you are a head of state and you engage in an egregious act that violates an international criminal law standard, of course you should be subject uh, to investigation and as appropriate prosecution. And if there is no immunity, we can come back to that, then the matter can be taken forward. And I think it's interesting that we do have a given here that both of you, personally, professionally, would like to see Putin pay for his crimes and think the case is there. And we're looking at how this might be done legitimately and feasibly. So my question, Philippe, was how much do you think the legitimacy of the ICC is now bound up with its pursuit of Vladimir Putin? I don't think the future legitimacy of the ICC is bound up with what does or does not happen to Vladimir Putin. Dan alluded to a number of points. The ICC is not in great shape. It does not have a lot of support in the global south. If you go onto the website, you will see that Almost all the people who have been indicted, if not four of them, are black and from Africa. Black people from Africa don't have a monopoly on international criminality. And the issue of double standards, I think, is a real problem for the ICC. And that problem, I suspect, is going to be exacerbated by the investigation and prosecution of Vladimir Putin. There's been no prosecution, if you like, in relation to, for example, crimes committed in Iraq, Afghanistan, Bagram, and the Focusing on President Putin and his child rights colleague has tended to reinforce the sense in the global south that this is an institution that exists in the pocket of the West. And I think that is a major problem. So the question of double standard, which is part of the politics 
Bob, who is investigated and as the circumstances require prosecuted, I think plays a very big role here. But on balance, I suspect this may cause the International Criminal Court more difficulty than positive outcomes in the future, in part because coming back to my first point, I think that the exercise that has been undertaken so far is very largely about heading off the creation of a competitor institution, and that's not a reason to have taken the step that it did. That said, I fully agree with Dan, no one is above the law. If he has committed crimes on the territory of Ukraine, then they should be investigated just like anywhere. Dan, on this point, do you feel the ICC or its standing or prestige is weakened by appearances of hypocrisy or double standards? Well, I do agree with a lot of what Philippe said, and there are perhaps multiple double standards at play. So one conceivable double standard is the ICC targeting the weak rather than the powerful. And in that regard, I do think that prosecuting Putin would help with the charge of double standards. Putin is a very powerful leader, as I described earlier. There is a second double standard, though, and this is the one that Philippe alluded to, and I'd, I, in, in this regard, the prosecution of Putin would not help, which is that there's a perception that uh, the West perhaps is less likely to be targeted than the rest of the world. And in that regard, the prosecution of Vladimir Putin and other Russian elites, right now there's an arrest warrant for, for Putin and his commissioner for children. There very well could be more arrest warrants in the not too distant future uh, for, for Russian elites. And those will probably not help with the charges that you know the ICC gives the West a pass, but focuses on the global South. So it it is really a uh, difficult issue because there are multiple double standards at play, and um, this can perhaps help with one of them, but not the other. On the question of war crimes and the ICC issuing warrants on war crimes grounds, do either of you think there's a chance this will happen for Vladimir Putin, or is it really symbolic? An indictment has been issued, an arrest warrant has been issued. So steps are now underway. And as Dan rightly said, if you set foot in any state party to the International Criminal Court, in principle, in law, that party is under an obligation to arrest him. It's probably why he won't go to a BRICS summit of uh, southern states in South Africa. They'll probably move the summit elsewhere to avoid causing those kinds of difficulties. But I think the reality of the situation is this sort of double standard concern is going to continue to run. I mean, as Dan was speaking, one of the big issues, of course, past years, the elephant in the room, Iraq, Afghanistan, pretty plain that torture was committed in Afghanistan. And a lot of people, reasonable people, who will support the investigation and indictment of Vladimir Putin will say to themselves, well, hang on a second, what about Mr. Bush and torture Bagram? Why is that not investigated? And, and that is a very reasonable question. And unfortunately, the fact that that question can be asked allows people like Putin to have a go at the entire exercise. So we keep coming back to the interplay, really, between law and politics. And I think you can't separate the two. They, are, they, they live hand in hand. Can I pick up then at this point on the idea of a different kind of pursuit. And Philippe, you've referred a couple of times to the idea of a crime of aggression for waging an illegal military invasion. Could you explain a little more about that? Well, I think it's worth going back to 1945 and really the start of the modern system of international criminal justice. For Nuremberg, the famous 
trial against Nazi leaders, there were four crimes at play. Of those, only one pre-existed the start of the war in 1939, war crimes. The other three were invented for that trial. Crimes against humanity, genocide, and the crime of aggression, which in 1945 was crimes against peace. And ironically, was introduced into the Nuremberg Statute by the Soviets, and in particular by a Soviet jurist, Aaron Trainer. The International Criminal Court, as I've mentioned, has jurisdiction only over three of those four crimes. Ukraine has jurisdiction over all four. The crime of aggression is actually part of Russian law, the law of Belarus, and the law of Ukraine. The ICC can't exercise jurisdiction over it. When the war broke out, or the special operation, that's what the Russians want to call it, broke out in February 2022, Financial Times asked me to write 700 words on international law in Ukraine. And I pondered for a few hours what to write about and focused in the end on this crime of aggression, the waging of a manifestly illegal war. And I settled to write on that precisely because I was concerned. Coming back to your previous question, it would be very difficult to prove for a political leader like Vladimir Putin, that he is responsible for a war crime that takes place in Mariupol or Bucha. Evidence needed to prove that is not straightforward. What you really need is what is called a leadership crime, which is crime which is, if you like, attributable to only those who sit at the top table. And that is to say, those who decided to prosecute, to launch, to continue, a war that was contrary to international law. If you go back again to Nuremberg, which is the only time the crime of aggression has been investigated and prosecuted by an international tribunal, you will see that the judges at Nuremberg said very clearly, it is the crime of crimes. All the other crimes that followed, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, would not have occurred or been within the jurisdiction of the Nuremberg Tribunal if there had not been a decision to go to war. And we've got exactly the same thing here. All of the terrible things that you referred to in your introduction, none of them would have happened if the war had not been launched. But one of the concerns that I had and still have is if you do not address the crime of aggression, you are very likely to end up in a situation in which in practical terms, the only people who are actually in the dog are low or mid-ranking military or paramilitary types. And the people at the top table, get off scot-free. That would be a deplorable situation. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. 
The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Dan, your thoughts on that? Should we be focusing first on the crime of aggression? Let me, if it's okay, circle back to something that you asked just a moment ago about the, the feasibility of, of prosecuting Putin, which we'll circle into this more recent question. Sure. There are two big challenges to the prosecution. The first one is actually getting Putin to the hate. And there's a certain irony here, because that's actually not at all up to the ICC. That's up to states to actually arrest Putin, and if they do get their hands on him, to actually send him to the ICC. Very difficult to do this. And there are some, some troublesome precedents if you care about the ICC. Uh, for example, uh, Sudan's Omar al-Bashir faced an ICC indictment for a decade. And he traveled widely throughout much of the world, sometimes even receiving red carpet treatment when he would show up at international summits. He was eventually ousted in a, in a domestic revolution in 2019, and he might eventually make his way to the ICC now. But it's really hard to get leaders to The Hague itself. So I think that's the biggest challenge. The second challenge, which is what Philippe alluded to, is actually proving war crimes. From a political or sort of moral perspective, Putin obviously seems guilty, but proving the intentionality is much more difficult in a court of law. And Philippe, if you want to go into more detail, I know you're the, the lawyer here, um, but that, that is very difficult. But I also think that's why it's so notable that the ICC started with the abduction of children as a war crime. Because to me, that seems much more feasible to prove in a court of law because Putin went on Russian TV and talked about it. So there clearly seems to be some level of, of intent there. As for some of the other horrific war crimes, the bombings of cities, hospitals, maternity wards, that will be much more difficult to prove, I think, in a court of law. Does that fit with your understanding, Philippe? It's going to be very difficult. I mean, those who prosecute these things make it very clear that showing a connection of causality between what happens on the ground or even in the deportation of children and being head of state is tough. Which I, I'm going to speak with a journalist cadence here. So forgive the simplification. So are we saying it's possible to get to indict or to successfully bring Putin to justice for some war crimes, not all of the war crimes. I have real doubts about war crimes and crimes against humanity. To my reading, genocide is not on the table. The only plausible crime in which proven is really almost a slam dunk is the crime of aggression. There's no question who started this war. He's declared it very publicly. There's no question that it's manifestly illegal. And that is why there has been now a groundswell to filling the gap 
in the international architecture and creating a mechanism, and it's not free from difficulty, in which the crime of aggression can be prosecuted. There has been set up now in The Hague a new international centre punishment of the crime of aggression. It is not a tribunal. It will not uh, investigate and prosecute, but it will gather the evidence of those leaders in Russia, the president, the foreign minister, the defense minister, the key individuals at FSB, the intelligence services, the key individuals in the military, and the key finances. It's no more than 20 people who decided to wage this operation in the first place. And that, in terms of proof, is really relatively straightforward. The challenge, of course, as Dan says very rightly, is getting hold of the right people. But I have to say for myself, that's art before elbow, as one might say in London. Let's do the right thing in terms of principle. Let's put that issue on the agenda and then worry about how to proceed actually putting in place a tribunal and if it investigates and if it issues an arrest warrant, how on earth you get hold of this particular individual. I want to just draw your listeners' attention to one fundamental debate that is taking place right now. There's about 40 or so countries that have agreed we need a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression. They include France, Britain, and the United States, and of course, led by Ukraine and many European countries, very few from the global south on board. But there is a fundamental rift between Ukraine, Central European countries, and smaller European countries on the one hand, who want a full international tribunal, and on the other hand, the US, the UK, and France, who basically want a glorified Ukrainian office in The Hague, precisely because they are deeply concerned that if they create a special criminal tribunal for the crime of aggression today in relation to one permanent member of the Security Council, it could happen tomorrow in relation to another permanent member of the Security Council. So they're wiggling around, trying to find a way to do the right thing without creating a precedent. And so we really are back to politics. And Dan, I see you nodding there. I 100% agree with everything that Philippe just said. Um, the United States in particular, given that it has a global military presence that most other countries do not, is really trying to th thread the needle here in order to prosecute Vladimir Putin and some of his cronies, which the United States, I think, very much wants to do. But it wants to do so in a way that doesn't set a precedent that might come back to haunt the United States at some point down the road. This, of course, is going to bring up, going back to charges of double standards that we talked about before, a very clear case of double standards, which the United States position ultimately comes down to, we want justice for thee, but not for me. Can I raise another matter of, not of principle, but of practical fallout, as it were. How do you think the threat of prosecuting Vladimir Putin, whether for war crimes or the crime of aggression, how do you think that affects negotiations over in Ukraine and indeed the possibility of negotiations? I think that plays out. It's a very, very important question. Uh, Dan has already alluded to it. It may make it more difficult at one level, but at another level, it may make it much easier. You know, I spent a lot of time back on the history of these kinds of things. There's a fascinating episode in the first months of 1945, when Stalin, Roosevelt, and Churchill agreed that after the war was over, they would set up a special tribunal. It became the military tribunal at Nuremberg to prosecute Nazi leaders. Of course, one of the consequences of that was it caused a number of people to either double down or kill themselves, but it caused other people 
to cut deals with the Allies. The most notorious case is General Karl Wolf, who was the number two to Heinrich Himmler, who very shortly, we're talking about days after the announcement that the tribunal would be created, Karl Wolf would have been on the list, no doubt. He reached out through indirect means to a man called Alan Dulles, who would later become the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, and cut a deal. It's known as Operation Sunrise. And essentially he said, look, if you take me off the list for what will become Nuremberg, I will support you bringing this war to sooner rather than later. And one of the things I've been most interested in, in relation to my own thinking on a special tribunal for the crime of aggression, is who is around Mr. Putin, who is liable to crack. We know there is dissent. I'm working very closely with people who know the innocent. And there are people, particularly in the military and the FSB, and possibly also on the financial side, who care about their long-term well-being. And I think one of the reasons strategically creating the tribunal is to create an incentive for certain people to break ranks and cut a deal. But equally, I'm conscious of the point that Dan's. I think also this could go in one of two ways. It's possible that it makes the, resolving the conflict harder in Ukraine. And a minimum, the logistics of negotiating peace got harder once the ICC got involved. It's not necessarily clear to me whether leaders in Western democracies will even feel comfortable negotiating directly with a now indicted war criminal, right? We've had examples in the past where leaders in the US, UK and elsewhere have said, Bashar al-Assad has to go. We can no longer negotiate directly with such a brutal leader. It's possible that something similar might happen with Putin with regards to Ukraine. On the other hand, indicting Putin might actually shore up Western support for the war in Ukraine, which is largely being financed by the United States and some of its European allies. There is an interesting precedent here, which is a previous tribunal that went for Yugoslavia. When Slobodan Milosevic, the Serbian leader, was indicted, NATO actually sort of doubled down and said, okay, this is someone who has to go. We're going to uh, really start to back Kosovo in this conflict in a way that we perhaps couldn't have before. So ultimately, I think the effects of the indictment of Putin on the war in Ukraine, uh, it's an open question, and it could go in a positive direction or a negative direction. One thing that is interesting for your listeners, I am working quite closely with President Zelensky's office on some of these issues. And what I'm told is that when have been discussions in the past about the possibility of negotiations, and still today, one of the Russian points is, as a precondition for any negotiation, the issue of criminality has got to be brought to an end and they want that off the agenda completely. And that signals to me that it is something they are anxious about. In other words, it's not a moment to take your foot off the gas. Briefly, if we can, in summing up, I'd like to ask each of you, Dan, I'm going to ask you first, what's the key thing you take away from our discussion? My key takeaway is that prosecuting heads of states is incredibly difficult, but it's worth trying, especially in a case like this. Philippe. I think as a community in the West, we have to do the right thing. I get criticized a lot, for example, for working with some individuals who are deeply involved in prosecuting the war in Iraq, which I consider to have been an illegal war. But we are where we are. 
this, I think, is a struggle that has a certain existential quality to it. It's about one set of values against another set of values. And I think at the epicenter of the values that I care about, which include protecting that 1945 moment, the idea of a rules-based system, you cannot let people engage in an act such as that which Mr. Putin has engaged in and just say, fine, we walk away from it, you carry on. The issue of individual responsibility, including criminal responsibility, I think is part of the agenda and must remain that. Well, I very much appreciate our nuanced discussion. Philippe, Dan, thank you both. That was Philippe Sands and Dan Kirkmerick. You've been listening to the Intelligence Squared podcast. I'm Philippa Thomas, and to all of you, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should talk about next and who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencequared.com. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's greatest minds, then head over to intelligencequared.com. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.